This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Michelle Nonaslani Shiota, a social psychologist and a leading expert on positive emotions, including awe. She is the lead author of the textbook Emotion and the co-editor of the Handbook of Positive Emotions. Her published research on awe has been featured in leading media outlets, including Oprah, New York Times, and Psychology Today. We will be talking about the transformative power and practice of awe. Thank you for joining me today on Spark, Lani. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. How would you define the state of awe? I have defined awe as an emotional reaction to stimuli that we encounter in the world around us that are difficult to account for with the knowledge of the world that we already have. There is something about this thing that we're looking at or listening to or thinking about that is so, in some way, so different from what we've seen before that we experience it as literally extraordinary. It is beyond our ordinary experience and our minds don't quite know what to do with it. Is it a moment of wow, where you're like, what am I looking at? Yeah, and and people often, even in the laboratory, when we ask them to think about and, and communicate uh, expressively a time when they felt awe, they will literally say, wow. <laughs> and, and that is not limited exclusively to the United States. As I understand it, awe is a positive emotion that's more likely to be overlooked. And now there's science behind it. Yeah, it's it's there. The research on awe really only started in the '90s, and I was uh, had the 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 lucky position of being um, one of the first people to be able to ask questions from a scientific perspective about awe. Uh, philosophers, religious studies scholars have been interested in awe for a, a much longer period of time, and even in sociology, there's a, a body of work on awe and the sublime that sort of informed the approach that we took in those early studies. But certainly psychologists who study emotion really only came to be interested in awe within the last 20 years or so at most. Could you feel awe from fear or dread like with the pandemic? It's a really interesting question. In the English language, the word awe comes from an old English word that means fear or terror. And since the really the the Middle Ages, the concept of of the sublime has been linked to specifically religious terror, so terror of God or things that are dangerous. So when we first started doing this work, it was really an open question of whether awe was inherently linked to fear or terror. What we're finding in our data is that that's not necessarily the case, that sometimes awe when can include fear. And so there are, you know, if, if we think about awe as a response to something that is extraordinary, sometimes those things are extraordinarily dangerous. Sometimes they are extraordinarily horrible. Sometimes they are 
extraordinarily frightening. And under those circumstances, we can experience this combination of, of awe and, 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 and fear, and it can have that tinge to it. But when you just ask people, beginning with the English language, but to some extent in other languages as well, to tell you about a time when they felt awe, most of the reports are actually positive. And in the U.S., the most common elicitors of awe include things like enormous nature views or views of a very large panoramic setting that you've never encountered before or never seen it in that quite in that way. It typically involves something that's very large, so vastness is thought to be one of the characteristics of stimuli in our environment that elicit awe. That can be literal vastness. It can be that this thing is physically enormous in a way that's difficult to comprehend. Sometimes it's that the enormous thing is always there. We just don't usually pay that much attention to it. So, for instance, sunsets and the night sky on a very clear night with lots of stars are commonly reported awe elicitors. And it's, it's not that we don't know what stars are or what a sunset is. We're just not usually looking or attending to this thing that is so enormous that it challenges our ability to comprehend it, that level of greatness. Sometimes the greatness is in in other people and in many cultures. The most common elicitors of awe are social, and one in particular is the remarkable, extraordinary greatness of another's giving, another's self-sacrifice. This goes beyond gratitude to, I am awed at what you have just given, at what you have just done. I I did not understand that people were capable of that in in a positive way. And we can even experience also very abstract stimuli like music that challenges our perception and our senses ideas that challenge our understanding of how the world works, even a mathematical equation, a tiny thing on paper, can be awe-inspiring if it suddenly links together a large number of phenomena in the natural world. So those are, are the wide range of qualities that appear to elicit awe and that people report eliciting this state. Some of them might be frightening, but that doesn't seem to be inherent in awe-evoking things. Sounds like it could be culturally influenced, as you pointed out, that someone's generosity and spirit may be seen with awe in some places versus other yes, places. Absolutely, it's very culturally influenced in one way, and it's, there are also big individual differences in this as well, even within a culture. And the way that I like to put this is that what blows your mind depends upon what was in your mind to begin with what you attend to, what you think is important, what is surprising to you uh, versus not surprising. When you talk about the vastness of the stars and nature, is it usually a spiritual experience as if it's something greater than ourselves? Or is it just a sheer surprise of the experience or both? really two parts to that question. One is the relationship between awe and surprise. And The other is whether awe has an inherently spiritual dimension to it. So I'll take those one at a time. You can be surprised at something that is unexpected, but not necessarily awe-inspiring. If I walk into a grocery store and I run into a friend, I can be pleasantly surprised. I wasn't expecting that person to be there, but that's very different from awe. 
it's not the same feeling. It's not the same situation. And people have somewhat, there's some overlap. There are different associations with it. So there is something that goes beyond simply perceiving the unexpected. How does that relate to spirituality? It really depends on how you define spirituality. So this is where I get really careful because, as I mentioned, religious study scholars have talked about awe for for a long time, and awe of God as being a very important aspect of religious experience. When we talk about spirituality, a common definition in the spirituality literature is the sensation or belief or perception that there is something much greater than you and to which you are connected out there in the universe, that you are part of something much, much, much greater than yourself, and that there is some holiness to that larger unit. When we ask people to rate their thoughts uh, and describe their thoughts and, and feelings, about during awe experiences about the world around them. The first thing is one of the things they say. They very commonly say, I felt like I was in the presence of something much greater than myself, and I felt connected to the world around me rather than being isolated from it. We haven't asked people if that's holy, and I suspect that you would get a lot of differences between people in whether they identify strongly with a religious or a spiritual condition, what they believe about God. I don't, I don't know that that part of it is inherent in the experience of God. And there are certainly plenty of agnostic or atheist secular people who experience awe without, without linking it to that context. But if we are going to define spirituality as the sense in some way that you are part of or in the presence of something that's much bigger than yourself, then we can say yes. People feel that there's something spiritual about the connection. More in the sense that you feel like there is something bigger out there than you, just you that's creating yeah. all of this, but you don't know what that is or what that looks like. What are the benefits of feeling awe? One quality that it appears to have is that it's soothing. So people talk about feeling calm, unpressured. It is not, a, it doesn't, things don't feel difficult when you're in awe state. We have some evidence that it involves some aspects of relaxation, at least in terms of the heart's activity and the way that the autonomic nervous system is sort of giving messages to the heart about how hard it needs to be working right now. So it seems to be calming and soothing and centering. When people talk about the psychological experience of awe, they really talk about being detached from their personal worries, concerns, their their personal hassles, and all of those things. Those things sort of get pushed to the back of the mind for the moment. And from other research, we know that being able to take a breather from those kinds of ever-present stressors can be very, very good for well-being. And how that those changes in attention and cognition can have downstream effects on our well-being. So the research is showing benefit at both the physiological and the psychological level. There can be. So what I do feel comfortable saying is that and there's other evidence that suggests that those changes may be beneficial for well-being under some circumstances. Certainly it helps us to 
be mindful in the moment. I think that's a good way to put it. In fact, people often ask me, is what's the difference between awe and mindfulness? And, and my response is well, based upon what people say is awe feels like and what we notice them doing during awe. It looks like awe is this environmentally evoked state of mindfulness. Mindfulness is usually something we have to work at and concentrate on and do very deliberately. This is this momentary state of mindfulness. It seems to be pulled out of us when we see something in the environment that we perceive as amazing. I completely understand that you have to be careful as a scientist because you have to be exact in what you're presenting. There's a number of studies. So the first one is a Berkeley study, right? Mm-hmm. That's revealing that's reveals that all can be good in the sense that it improves physical and mental health, possibly even lowering the risk of type 2 diabetes, clinical depression, heart disease, and arthritis. Benefits similar to those enjoyed by eating right or exercising. Would you agree with that? I need to take a closer look at the study that you are talking about. I haven't had a chance to do that. I can say that the questions that I would ask about that study are whether it used correlations, so it measured awe and then all of these other things in people and looked at whether awe was uniquely related to them versus an experimental design, what we call a randomized controlled trial, where people were randomly assigned to experience awe with higher frequency and and manipulated into doing that in some way. And then those folks were compared with other groups, and all of the outcomes that you measured were mentioned. Those, those, that's the information that I would want to know. Interesting. Okay, so the following benefits are being written about or featured tied to the research of all, which is the boost in the immune system, increase in pro-social behavior, there's pretty solid evidence on pro-social behavior. Yep, that is that is at least one study set of studies that I know of that were were well done experiments. Mm-hmm. Why does it promote pro-social behavior? Oh, that's a really good question. I another thing that people often try to get me to say is that all makes us better people. Let's think about this for a second. Let's think about the world leaders who have used awe as a way of getting their subjects, their followers, to do horrible, horrible things. I don't think awe necessarily makes us better people. But there is evidence that it leads to the perception that we have more time, that time is moving more slowly. We feel less hurried. We feel less rushed. We're, again, mentally detached from all of the worries, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, and this isn't done yet, that's usually running through our mind. There's also very good evidence, and this actually goes back some decades, that one of the best predictors of pro-social behavior is simply slowing down and not being in a rush, that we are more likely to notice that another person needs help and then stop to help them. Awe gets us into a state where we feel calmer and more aware of what's going on around us and less hurried. We're more likely to notice somebody in our environment who might need some assistance and then reach out to help that person. What kind of pro-social behavior does it promote? Like, is it generosity of spirit? 
So the study with which I'm most familiar was done on the UC Berkeley campus. It's a really fun study. So they brought people into one of two locations on campus that were pretty similar to each other, but one of them has is a grove of these incredibly tall, very, very old redwood trees. It is, it is quite awe-inspiring. Um, and they measure people's responses emotionally. And then in a really sneaky way, that's the kind of thing that we do in social psychology, they had a someone who is a research assistant, a member of the research team, but just sort of pretending to be a random person, walk by and drop a bunch of stuff. And the question is whether the actual participant who doesn't understand that that's a staged event stops to help the person pick things up. And what they found is that in the all-a-sitting environment, uh, people were more likely to be helpful in that situation. So what is the best way to apply awe to promote pro-social behavior? One possibility is that awe encourages us to notice the what's going on around us more. The question then is, if you notice what's going on around us more in our interpersonal space, does that nudge us into being kinder. And an optimistic view would say, yes, it should. If you notice the people around you and what they're going through more, then that should help us to be better people. Good to know. So should we have a daily practice of looking or being surrounded by awe to promote a sense of well-being for ourselves and be pro-social? My sense is that the best reason to make some effort to incorporate awe in your life is your own well-being. If that has some downstream effects on pro-social behavior, that's great, as do many practices that starting with your own centering and well-being and calm provides a solid foundation for treating others well. How often do we, when we're upset and distressed and stressed out, end up sort of throwing that at somebody else as, you know, as part of our dysregulation. We end up treating somebody else badly. That's something that we're pretty familiar with. So, you know, one possibility is that simply because awe helps us calm down a little bit (laughs) and detach from the things in our life that are bothering us, then we, we will be likely to treat the people around us a little bit better. I think one relevant set of studies here was actually done in, uh, um, in San Francisco at, at the height of the AIDS crisis. These researchers, caregivers, so the loved ones of AIDS patients, they were, they were doing a series of interviews with them about, about their experience. And one of the things that came out, actually at the request of the caregivers themselves, they said, boy, you're, you're asking me about all of these negative things. You're asking me about how awful my life is. And yeah, it's really hard right now, but boy, there are good times too. Why aren't you asking me about those? And the researchers very sensibly said, oh, okay, well, you know, tell us about that. And what they found is that people who took some time on a regular basis to savor something in their environment, to, to, to take a break from the stress of what was going on in their and their partner's lives, to enjoy something like the beauty of a flower or a candle or go for a walk, right? whatever it was, who managed to take that break, the higher well-being during their partner's illness, and they rebounded more quickly after their partners passed away. It was associated with overall stronger resilience in what was objectively a very, very difficult and painful situation. 
So one of the things, again, that awe seems to do is bring us into the present moment in a very, very pleasant and sometimes striking way. That might give the body and the mind a little bit of a break from stress in a way that over time can be really helpful. So that's a good reason to start looking for some more things in the environment that can evoke this response. So it sounds like all should be a practice where we train our eyes or our ears or even our nose to look for it versus stumbling upon it. It's really a combination of those two things. We can certainly put ourselves into situations where we're more likely to encounter something that is unfamiliar and, and, and extraordinary for us. We don't necessarily have to go to the Grand Canyon or to you know, the top of Sears Tower or to, uh, to a Cirque du Soleil performance to feel awe. We can look for the remarkable and the extraordinary in the environment around us and then choose to pay attention to it. At this point in our world, many of us, most of us, uh, especially as we get older, we have more responsibilities, we have more accumulated knowledge inside, we kind of walk through our days working with that accumulated knowledge and focusing on our goals and our to-do list rather than necessarily paying attention to the details of what's around us. Sometimes what can be extraordinary is in those details, seeking those things out, paying attention to them, making space to be aware of them can be useful in increasing an awe practice. So then do children or younger people feel awe more often because they don't have that accumulated knowledge? Yes, we do have some data suggesting that as people get older, their experience of awe tends to go down somewhat. Interesting. How can we promote awe in the workplace where there's, it's all about knowledge most of the time? That's a good question. Why should we promote awe in the workplace? So you feel great about working? So there are lots of ways to feel great about working. I, I, I think that you know, the most important thing about um, feeling great about your job, and there's, there's a ton of evidence on this, is feeling like you make a difference. <laughs> you know, um, Feeling like you're doing something that is valuable and that your contribution is recognized. That's sort of the opposite of burnout. Burnout is when you're pouring yourself, pouring yourself, pouring yourself into your job, and it just doesn't seem to matter. Well, how about the pro-social aspect of work? Promoting the pro-social aspect and your sense of well-being while you're at work. Yeah, certainly people who feel like they are helping others and, and, and that their, their assistance is actually making a difference, um, yeah, do tend to report quite high job satisfaction, even when those jobs are not necessarily that economically rewarding or, in some cases, socially terribly respected. So it would make a difference if you could somehow create it through, let's say, the space? I think that workplaces that succeed in communicating to employees that their individual efforts are part of something bigger and that that bigger thing, it matters. It is valuable. It can be valuable to society. It can be valuable in a number of different ways. But if people feel that they are part of a larger effort to do something that is 
significant and meaningful, I would bet, yes, that that would increase job satisfaction in the workplace. Does that inherently involve awe? It might. There are certainly some overlapping elements there, right? The perception of something greater than the self that's larger than what you are focusing on in the moment. But that element of awe that is looking beyond yourself and what you can see in the moment, what the bigger thing is doing and trying to do, that's worthy. That's important. That can be a useful component of feeling good about your job. Right. Like, let's say sustainability, right? You know you're going to make, make a contribution to the earth, health of the earth. So for you, that's a bigger vision or goal. Maybe that creates a sense of awe and you feel like you're part of it. But I mean, that's a really good point. If you feel like there's something that you're more connected to that's bigger than yourself, you're going to feel differently about your work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think the practice of awe is equally as strong or powerful as gratitude? I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, that there are probably some similarities and some differences. I think what the practice of gratitude does is get us out of the mindset where we're focused on the things that are going wrong with our life. And it's really easy to be in that mindset. There's an enormous amount of evidence that one thing that humans do is we have what's called a negativity bias. This shows up everywhere. It shows up in some of the ratios that you see of how important positive relative to negative experiences are in close relationships. It shows up in the phenomenon where you may enjoy some piece of food for decades and then you have one experience where it makes you sick and you can't even smell it right for possibly forever, but certainly for a very long time. This phenomenon where negative experiences seem to outweigh positive ones in our attentional focus is quite widespread. And I think that what committing to a gratitude practice does is, is interrupt that tendency to focus on the negative and say, hey, let me focus on the good things in my life right now and carry that forward. And one thing that we do know is that when people continue to use tricks to engage their focus on the positive things in their life, and a bunch of ways to kind of hack the system to do that, we feel better and our relationships are stronger. Um, there's a bunch of evidence that when you get people to focus on saying thank you in their close relationships, that keeps rebounding back and forth between the person expressing the gratitude and the person receiving it. Um, some of this is Sarah Aljo's work. She's done some really beautiful work at, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill, finding that the person who hears that expression of gratitude then makes a greater commitment to the person who expressed it, right, for the future, is more inclined to reach out a helping hand to them and be supportive. For the person expressing the gratitude, that's an indicator that they are now seeing this person as someone that they can count on, and that rebounds into a bunch of well-being benefits as well. So that's really exciting. I think that awe is probably a, to the extent that it promotes well-being, maybe does so by a different mechanism. What it does is detach us, again, sort of detaching us from our concerns and our worries and getting us to focus on something that's that's more positive in the moment and is centering. It's not inherently about interpersonal relationships in the way that gratitude often is, but it is a similar kind of breather from negativity, and it can really serve that function nicely. 
it takes us out of ourselves. That is one thing that, that both of the emotions have in common is it takes us out of ourselves and encourages to look at what's going on in the world around us. But in some ways, gratitude is it's still kind of self-focused, right? Because it's Because it's about I'm thankful for what I have. I am thankful for what you have done to me. I am thankful for the good things in my life. Where it's always really about my attention is not even on me right now. My attention is out there in the world outside of myself. Both of those things can be healthy. And I think that rather than pitting them against each other, it's useful to think of them as complementary tools that we have in a toolkit for promoting and supporting our own well-being. Well, I completely agree. If you're not feeling gratitude, you can always turn to awe for a sense of positivity. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a nice way to think about the, the options that we have for feeling better about our ourselves and our lives. Thank you for joining me on Spark today. You bet. Absolutely. I enjoyed chatting with you.